Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. Your behavior on the field, everybody sees it except for Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell. I mean, they're the only two people on planet Earth that didn't see it, right? Because they gave you $250 million. You held a gun to their head, and they blinked. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Stephen Bond, with us on the ones and twos. And Michael... We have now turned the calendar to the month of December. So the regular wow. season starting to get good as the temperature gets cold here, buddy. Uh, we're about to see some good football coming up this weekend. Yeah, I mean, a lot of good games this weekend, too. Week 13. Can you believe we're in week 13 of the season already? It's crazy, You know, man. it's kind of gone so fast, and it's been uh, interesting to watch. I mean, have you ever seen a Super Bowl championship team like the Rams just completely look like crap? I, I don't know if you're ever going to see this again. I mean, it's kind of remarkable how they have collapsed. I mean, you know, how do you feel for the networks when you basically (laughs) have a Super Bowl champion that you want to put on your television every week, especially since they play in the 4 o'clock window, Mm -hmm. and they look like complete duds? I mean, you just lose a complete game. You wonder why Survivor's struggling? So many teams are, when you look at the standings, everybody's clustered together. Somebody asked me this morning, who do you think's getting fired? And I was looking at the standings, and I'm like, well, you know, it's hard to predict because everybody's kind of clustered together. It's wild. And there's some games that are coming up. I believe there's a Rams-Packers Monday night football game. Who's going to want to watch that in December? Christmas Day. Don't look at that schedule. Broncos at the Rams and in the afternoon game on Christmas. <laughs> so uh, Merry Christmas. Open up some gifts and you get some uh, it'll terrible It'll still outdraw the NBA. It'll still outdraw the NBA. I'll Probably. bet you that without even a doubt. Probably because we're all Because, I mean, sickos. who wants to watch the NBA? I watched, seven, I watched six minutes of the 76ers last night. <laughs> I said to myself, why would I watch this if they're less interested in playing than I'm interested in watching it? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and then I read Doc Rivers' comments this morning. Well, it was a scheduling quirk. Did Michael Jordan ever have a scheduling quirk? Did he ever have a scheduling quirk? You know, they talk about, oh, Embiid's the MVP of the league. He's the greatest player of all time. Did Michael Jordan ever just lay a dud? Did he ever do that? Did Larry Bird just ever lay a dud? Like, I'm not talking about going back to the Koozie era, but I mean, this whole notion of, oh, well, it was a scheduling quirk, so they got their asses kicked in Cleveland. I mean, come on. I mean, Jesus Christ. Why would I watch that shit? You know, so, you know, I turned on another JFK assassination documentary. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, did you turn on the uh, All Things Covered podcast, Michael? Because we saw Patrick Peterson of the Minnesota Vikings talking with Brian McFadden on that All Things Covered pod. And it was interesting. He was asked about the Arizona Cardinals and particularly asked about Kyler Murray. And they were having the discussions about whether Cliff Kingsbury was going to get railroaded for the failures of the Cardinals this season. And Patrick Peterson said, quote, Kyler Murray don't care about anybody but Kyler Murray. I know you have some thoughts on this one, but this has kind of been the theme of what we've been talking about. Going back to the offseason and the ransom letter there that uh, Kyler Murray is not very well regarded in that organization. I, and then he reacted to Peterson like, well, why don't you talk to me directly? Like, bro, the, the, your behavior on the field, everybody sees it except for Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell. I mean, they're the only two people on planet Earth that didn't see it, 
right? Because they gave you $250 million. You held a gun to their head, and they blinked. Like, I mean, any general manager who had any guts or was watching what he was watching would have told Eric, whatever that guy's name is, the agent, hey, look, yo, bro, Burkhart. Hit, me in two, yeah, hit me in two years. We'll see how this thing goes in two years. But I'm not paying assholes around here. Like, that guy, when he didn't go on the field with Buda Baker, like, seriously, what we do? What are we talking about? Like, I, I applaud Patrick Peterson for saying it, for having the guts to say it. I mean, you know, I, I did, uh, what show did I do? I did Doug Gottlieb on Tuesday or Wednesday. I forget what day it was. And, and somebody in Twitter said, well, Lombardi was on a rant. I, like, I'm never, I'm not on a rant. I'm just trying to be honest. Like, as Howard Cosell said, if you see it, you got to say it. Like, what's wrong with saying Eric, uh, Kyler Murray has no ability to relate to his teammates? Like, what's wrong with saying that? If we see it and you've got experience, am I going to offend Kyler Murray? Maybe, but it might help him, actually, because people view him a different way. You know, I mean, here he's got a chance to win a game against the Chargers. He's got three possessions, and the first thing he does is throw his coach under the bus. I mean, seriously, you want to be around that guy? You want to build a championship team around that guy? It's funny, today on The Daily Coach, when I went over to Australia in 19, I got to spend a lot of time with the Essendon uh, Bombers, which is one of the teams in Melbourne. And one of the great coaches over there is a guy named Alistair Clarkson, and they call him Clarko. And he won four titles in, in the premiership in that uh, Australian rules football. And I, we wrote something today on the Daily Coach about him, about how he, he went to a new team, North Melbourne, the greatest nickname of all, the Kangaroos, right? <laughs> so he's coaching North Melbourne Kangaroos, and he, and he says in the video, which, which, we t- which it's up on the Daily Coach website, is, you know, we're not just looking for people that can play here. We're looking for people that can play on the last Saturday in September. We're looking for people who can, can win a premiership. We're looking for players that are committed to we, not me. I mean, is Kyler Murray, does he fit anything that Clark goes talking about? Of course not. And it was as obvious as the nose on my face. Like, why, are it, why is anyone surprised? I'm not sure if people are surprised. I think they're mainly surprised that somebody actually came out and said it with uh, Patrick Peterson on the podcast. Now, Kyler, you mentioned that he responded on Twitter. This was Kyler's tweet. He said, this isn't true. You are on some weird bleep at P2, which is Patrick Peterson's Twitter handle, you got my number. If you really felt like this as a, quote, big bro or, quote, mentor, you're supposed to call me and tell me, not drag me so you can grow the podcast there. Um, so Kyler obviously on the defensive, and Kyler wasn't the only one that came out and said something. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins also came out supporting his quarterback. Uh, I mean, you expect that from somebody that plays with him. DeAndre Hopkins tweeted, you don't kick a man when he's already down. Then he also tweeted another quote uh, out there that said something. uh, uh, Yeah, it says, you gained attention but lost respect is a quote that he put out there. Uh, I I completely disagree. If you say your opinion, how do you lose respect? How do you lose respect? Do you have courage? You know, that's the problem we have in covering football is nobody gives an opinion. I mean, we're watching Russell Wilson just shit down his leg and everybody's saying, well, it's okay, you know. Like, no, it's not. Like, you know, I mean, that's the job. I mean, you know, Cosell, when he was doing the Monday night broadcast, he would, they would get a ton of letters from the, any players, you know, fans of the team that he criticized. I mean, that's what grew the game on Monday night because he would say things that the fan at home is thinking, not the fan of the team because, no, you know, you can't say a bad word about the Eagles. Like, I can't say a bad word about Joel Embiid in Philadelphia because, God forbid, the 76er fans go crazy. They're so blind they can't see it. 
you know, they think he's the most marvelous competitor in the history of competitors when, you know, they should put, you know, he's got no chance. If you can write this Femi down, December 1st, 2022, he will never win a title. Never. Underscore never, right? Because he doesn't have any element in his human in his in his play that allows himself to win. But what's wrong with saying it? Like, and you're going to be wrong sometimes, and then you got to admit when you're wrong. But when you see something, you've got to say it. Like, I don't understand how you know kick a man when he's down. They're not kicking him. It's the truth. I mean, he's not endeared to his teammates. You could just feel it. It is interesting because we've heard guys like Zach Ertz have come out in support. Now, these are all the, the, the pass catchers, the guys that Kyler directly works with. Colt McCoy has stood in support of Kyler Murray, but I think Colt McCoy might stand in support of anybody, <laughs> the kind of person that he is. Yeah. But, I mean, Colt's going to run for governor <laughs> of Texas one day. I mean, he's politically correct. I mean, he's so good. You know, I mean, like, seriously, he'll be the pre- he'll be the governor of Texas. I mean, he's shaking hands, kissing babies. Like, <laughs> I-, I get that no player wants to come out. It's like Russell yeah, it's Wilson. No player wants to come out and attack Russell. The, but the performance speaks different than the words. And that's part of being a, job, a general manager is to see what's going on. It's like we talked about on Monday with Denver. Like that team wasn't, that team's not playing very good. That team's not playing with any intensity or any level. Like, and as an executive, you've got to see that. Like, it isn't, it's, if it comes in the paper, like, what are they paying you for? And, and when you see stuff like this and then you give the guy $250 million and you make it worse, like I can tell you this, I know people that talk to coaches in the building that say it's a disaster in that building. Mm. Now, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what the disaster is, but the disaster started when they gave him $250 million. Has this come to light on the in-season hard knocks? I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I'm waiting for the college football to slow down. I didn't watch so I this week. on Saturday. I didn't watch this week, so you know. But look, I mean, if you're Michael Bidwell, everybody's happy, but you. Kime's got a contract. Cliff's got a contract. Murray's got a contract. The agent's picking up fees on all three. He's triple dipping. I mean, Jesus Christ, he's triple dipping like crazy. You know, I mean, we got to get him to represent you know, us, man. <laughs> I mean, he's the Arnold Rothstein of he's the Arnold Rothstein of, of agents. I mean, Arnold Rothstein would put out every guy that worked for him in his in his enforcement department. He made them sign a life insurance policy so that if they got killed, he was the beneficiary of the policy. Well, there was a fucking good chance they were going to get killed, right? So, so when they died, he went to the funeral. He paid for it, but he, you know, he, he was making money at it. So, like, seriously, like, the only guy happy out there is Murray and his agent. Last note on this, and we got to give a shout out to our buddy at GM underscore reshuffle. We were talking about it before we started the podcast, photoshopped the quote of Kyla Murray. And, and it says, Kyla Murray doesn't care about anybody but the GM shuffle. He's not even, he's not listening to it because he, you know, but at the end of the day, Kyla Murray's a documentary on what, what you don't want to pay a player. I mean, mm. here's all the, here's all the reasons why you shouldn't pay. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there they are. And when you ignore it, don't blame. I don't blame Kyler. I blame, I blame the people that gave him the money. Yeah. I'd have signed too. If I was Kyler Murray, uh, Michael, you wanted to get, cause we talk a lot about the NFL, but you wanted to get to some college football and what we saw over the weekend with that big Michigan and Ohio state game. Uh, and it has to do with Ryan day and the comments that he shared with the Fox broadcast at halftime. What was it that you wanted to highlight here? Well, I, I think to me this, uh, I, Ryan Day comes off the field and I think Tom Rinaldi was interviewing him and, and you know, and, and Ryan Day, or it was before the start of the second half and Ryan Day, all he talked about was how tough his team was. 
You know, and to me, I think one of the biggest problems young coaches have, offensive coaches have, is understanding what real toughness looks like. Like, what does toughness look like? Like, I was watching that game, and I never for one moment thought Ohio State was tough. I never for one moment thought that Ohio State was going to be able to battle Michigan into the fourth quarter and come out alive because they're just not set up for toughness. It's like, you know, a couple years ago in 2006, before New Orleans won a Super Bowl, you know, Sean Payton got into this mode where third and four, let's do third and two, let's run sticks, let's run option. You know, it's easy to get a first down on third and two. When in reality, sometimes you got to run the ball on third and one. Sometimes you got to be tough. You know, and Sean learned that. And I think that took Sean's coaching to another level. I think a lot of young coaches, Day particularly, they, they don't understand what toughness is really about. How do I develop toughness? How do I become tougher? How do I make my team tougher? You know, how do I make practice tougher? Like, it's not something you talk about. You know, for 365 days, he's been talking about how he's going to make his team tougher. Yep. Well, there's been no evidence that Ohio State's tougher. You know, there's no evidence of that. Do you do you go out? Do you practice outside? Do you make it hard on the players? Do you hold the players accountable? Toughness isn't something that shows up on Saturday afternoon or Sunday. I think one of the big concerns, and the reason I wanted to talk about this, Femi, is mm-hmm. one of the things I think when you watch Green Bay, they don't have any toughness, and that's because their head coach isn't tough. I mean, he's not a tough guy, and I think part of the problem in the NFL today is a lot of these coaches they're hiring play callers, they're hiring offensive offensive coaches who don't understand how to add toughness to their game. You know, you've got to be able to get third and ones. You've got to be able to, to be tough, win close games. You've got to coach toughness. Toughness is something you've got to coach. Physical toughness and mental toughness. And it's hard because the rules are keeping you from coaching physical toughness. So what do you do? Why is Green Bay not very tough? Well, they're not any good in the kicking game, even though they hired Rich Bisacci, who's a really good special teams coach. But because, because LaFuck doesn't give any time to it or really thinks it's very important, there's no toughness ingrained in it. Or does he demand any players that he, to play in it? So for me, it's like you're a young coach. You're an offensive coach. You're drawing all these plays. You've got all these ideas on how to attack. Kellen Moore. You think Kellen Moore's tough? He comes from a tough program in Boise State, but I mean, based on the way they call the plays, I don't think they call him like they're a tough football No, of team. course he's not tough. I mean, you know, I, I don't even know if Boise State's tough. I mean, like I, I think Boise State with Peterson was great, yeah. and I thought he got the game, but like that's to me is like, if I were interviewing some of these offenses, I'd say like, give me five examples on how you're going to create toughness with our football team. Like, how are we going to become a tough team? And if you're an offensive coach, as a head coach, you got to work really hard to be tough. You know, if you're Mike Zimmer coaching defense, your team's going to have a sense of toughness because he's a tough guy. But you got to spread that toughness throughout the team. And I just thought, Day, to me, it just struck me, and I'm going to write this for the Daily Coaches, mm-hmm. it just struck me that he doesn't even know what toughness looks like. He doesn't even know what it looks like. If you don't know what it looks like, how the hell can you coach it? And it goes back for Ohio State, back to the game against Michigan last year where they got punked in Ann Arbor, and they spent the whole a summer and off season talking about how they're going to revenge that loss there. And they went ahead and got punked in their own building again. So that's back to back years. Now, do you think that mental toughness, you talked about how physical toughness is hard to teach now with the rules and the practice. You can only do so many things. Can mental toughness be taught? Yeah. Well, yeah. Every day it can be tough. Mental toughness, you know, how we practice, how we prepare discipline, mm-hmm. who's accountable, doing things the right way every single day that, you know, and, and really having hard, having a hard time, 
having an understanding of what it takes. Like, I'll give you an example. I thought Frank Wright was a tough coach, okay? Mm-hmm. His teams, and, you, and I think this is verified. I think when you watched his team played early there, when Dave Gooch was his line coach, and then he changed line coaches, which he lost some toughness when he lost Gooch, right? As, as the longer Wright stayed in that program, the less tough the Colts became. Because it's hard to coach toughness every day, right? It's hard to be competitively, to have competitive stamina, both mentally and physically. It's hard to do it right. It's hard to be the asshole who's bitching all the time. It's hard to be the guy that's, you know, like, hey, we're not doing that right. We got to do it over, right? So to me, yeah, mental toughness. Now, Bob Knight said it well. Mental toughness to physical toughness is as different as nine is to three. I mean, they're, they're not related, but they somewhat are related, but you got to work on both. Mentally tough. How do we not have a penalty when we need it? You know, how do we overcome that? That those are the kind of things you have to work on constantly, and you've got to put players in situations to bring that out. You know, like if I were Ryan Day, as good as they are, and he wanted to get tougher, I wouldn't be in the spread all the time. I would want to be under center and have some two-back runs, you know, because we're going to need some two-back runs. We're going to need – this is what we're going to need. They're so married to their scheme. They're so married to their scheme that they don't understand it. Well, it's just as easy. We'll throw we'll throw option routes on third and third and one. You know, whatever we do, then we can't get a first down. We're all pissed off. I think toughness is one of the most underrated aspects of football, and you outlined it right there, Michael. Let's take our first break. On the other side, we start our Week 13 preview with Thursday Night Football, and it's a good one. Bills at the Patriots. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but... It has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. All right, Michael, before we get to Thursday night football, we got to look back at what we saw this past Monday night. The Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Indianapolis Colts 24-17, but the final drive is what has everyone talking, and I know it's what you want to discuss here on the pod. Jeff Saturday, man, what was going on with the timeout usage or lack thereof there on that final drive where he let all that time, precious seconds tick off the clock and it ultimately cost them the game there? You know, I'm not a TV producer, but what I would love to see – a couple things I would love to see it, it, it kind of indoctrinated into television. I would love to see third downs in the red zone get sponsored by, you know, the GM shuffle and it's a four-point play. To, just to let everybody know how important the play is, right? You know, and put a graphic up there. It's sponsored by Budweiser. I don't give a shit who you do it by. But, but let, let people know 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Athletic Greens. Perfect. Which is good stuff, by the way. It is you know, great stuff. And, and so, like, you know, I, I would love that because I think we get so caught up in third down. There's different third downs all throughout the game. And every third down has a little bit of a different uh, level of, of significance, and especially the ones in the red zone. So I think that. The second thing I would love to have done is I would love to have, especially at the end of the game, after the two-minute warning, I would love to have the time remaining and how many plays remaining, okay? Based on the calculations of timeouts and based on the time. Because what I thought, you know, when everybody went to Saturday, and, and he obviously answered the question, I sh- Saturday missed the whole boat because Saturday didn't understand that at the end of the day, it's about how many plays can I get, mm-hmm. especially with an offense that can't move the football, right? Like, we're not going to make a chunk play, you know? So when there's two minutes left to go in the game and I've got three timeouts, I've got a lot of plays I can run, right? I could probably run you know, a lot of things. I don't have to hurry up. I could, you know, and I've got the ball at the, you know, after that two-minute warning when they convert to four and three, they're at the 37-yard line of Pittsburgh. So I got 37 yards. That's three first downs. That's nine plays. Figure if I got, so the most I got is 12 plays. I should be in good shape here. I got 12 plays left in the game. I would love to have that graphic of how many plays based on calculations are left in the game. So the fans could stop looking at the clock and understand how many plays are left. That, that's where we get so confused in two minutes. No one talks about how many plays are left. And so when he runs the ball and he gets sacked on first down. Now, let's put this in perspective. Anytime, uh, the reason you have timeouts after the two-minute warning is when you get sacked, you have to use one. Mm-hmm. Okay? That, that's, the reason you save your timeouts is not for to get the field goal kicker on the field. It's to, to, to help you get the team back into the huddle after you get sacked. Because it takes too much time. You know, yeah. it takes too much time. So, you know, I mean, he gets sacked on 135 to go in the, in the, in the, in the second. And by the time they snap the ball, there's 59 seconds left to go. So he loses. I mean, he lost six in the 36. He lost basically six plays by not calling that timeout. Like when you, have, when you get sacked, you got to call timeout. Okay. Then he runs it again and he loses more time. Then he lets it go from he lets it go from 30, 59 seconds all the way down to thirty four before he calls a timeout with thirty six seconds with with what he with thirty seconds to go. Yep. So now he loses another twenty nine seconds. So he lost another four plays. He gave away ten plays in that drive. That's the part. That's the part where if he calls timeout after the sack at one thirty five to go, right? Timeout. Boom. We're done. You know, and so. Now, all of a sudden, I, 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 I've kept my plays in track. The other thing I think we miss on game management is this whole notion that, you know, the strategy that goes into two-minute warning, right? Like, people confuse strategy and decision-making, right? Strategy is, how are we playing the two-minute? How are we going to handle this? And if he's, an ex- and he's not an experienced head coach, but if he were an experienced head coach at that two-minute warning, after the fourth and three, he could have come back and said, once we get this first down, guys, here's, what I- here's the next four or five plays we need to run. Here's what I want to get going. I want to run it. I can't take a sack. If we take a sack, take a timeout. That's, that's because you practiced it. That's because you practiced it. That's strategy. Decision-making is what you react to. And that's where we get so screwed up. We don't have enough people that understand strategy. 
We have people that want to make decisions, but they don't understand strategy. Then we bring analytics into it, and analytics says, okay, here's the decision you should make. But is it within the strategy of the game? And to me, that this is to me that that two minute drive was a documentary on how far away you know that that this guy is. And you know, people. I mean, Jim Irsay said he's a monomania, which is which is somebody who's has an obsessive enthusiasm for or a preoccupation with one thing. Like he just knows football so well. If he knew football so well and he was a monomania, he would have handled the situation. But in fairness to Saturday, he's never been in that situation. Yeah. So how the hell would he know? Yeah, I think that's. The I mean, key if thing. you're if you're an offensive lineman and you know you have timeouts and you give up a sack, you know the first rule: we get sacked, we're calling timeout. I think that's the key part. There is that he just hasn't been in these situations, and when they arise, it's kind of deer in the headlights look there, and that's kind of what happened. And he admitted fault on Monday or Tuesday, I believe, the day after the game. He said, "Hey, I." Looking back at the tape, I should have called timeout and stuff. And, and kudos him for actually taking the blame on that one because sometimes these coaches will dance around it and, and talk themselves into thinking that they actually weren't at fault. But it's just the situation. He's inexperienced, and this is what we talked about when he got hired, that, hey, this guy has been a high school football coach for like a season. He's never coached or anything like that. He's been maybe an advisor, but still he doesn't understand what it's like on the sidelines and having to win a game and make those decisions. So uh, it ended up kind of costing the Colts that game as they lost in fall to 4-7-1 and one on the season. Uh, but Michael, let's get to Thursday night football here. Bills at the Patriots, an AFC clash out in Foxborough at our show sponsor DraftKings. Right now, the Bills, three and a half point favorites, total 43 and a half here. Pretty big game for Buffalo, who so far is 0-2 in the AFC East this season. Yeah, I mean, look, the last two times Buffalo's played New England, Buffalo has never punted. I mean, this is a big game for New England too, right? Mm-hmm. This is a big game for New England because They've got to find a way to beat Buffalo somehow. I mean, the last time they played them, they got killed in the playoff game. You know, they won the win game. And so this is really going to be the uh, – this is a playoff game, really, I think, for both teams. You know, because Buffalo doesn't want to inch away from Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got the Bengals this week, right? So, you know, there's a chance they could lose there. And if you want to play all your games in Buffalo, this is almost a must-win. So, you know, this will be hard. I, I, I worry about New England. Mm-hmm. handling the six-back offense. I mean, for all the conversation that Buffalo has about we don't want Josh Allen to run, he's still their leading rusher on the team. He's second in rushing attempts, but he's the leading rusher. They're going to run him. The first five plays of the game, Allen will run, and it won't be a quarterback scramble. It'll be to let Belichick know he's in the run game. And I think ultimately it's going to come down to can the Patriots function offensively? I mean, today I read a report that Trent Brown might be have a sickness. He might have the flu. Yeah. He might not play. Isaiah Wynn might, is not going to play. So their two tackles could be out. It's going to be hard for New England, I think. Now all the money's coming in on New England. I mean, that line went from five mm-hmm. and a half down to – and there's some talk it's going to go to three before kickoff. There was one place here at Circa where I'm sitting, went to three, but went right back to three and a half. And that was shortly after the Trent Brown news came out that he's questionable for this game with the illness there. Uh, we know Deion Dawkins is not going to play for the Buffalo Bills. Their left tackle. So they're banged up a little bit on that offensive line. But it sounds like we'll see more Tredavious White, the cornerback in this game. So good to see him back out there. Uh, who ultimately wins this game, Michael? I have a hard time thinking Buffalo doesn't win the game. I mean, Buffalo's never punted against them. They haven't stopped them. You know, and and the other thing is, is they have a hard time tackling Josh Allen. I worry about New England's overall team speed on defense. K- 
Can they track down Allen? Can they cut? Can they handle it? The game they lost in New England before the playoff game, they lost 33 to 21. That game wasn't as close as you might think, as the score indicated it was, right? That game wasn't really a close game. I felt like that was a game that, you know, Buffalo was in complete control of that game all the way through. It was off the. It was after the the the, the snow game. I mean, the wind game, and they just had complete control of it. So, for me, I I don't I don't like the matchup. I I think it's all about the matchup, Femi. And I don't like the matchup. You know, I don't like New England against six back offenses. We saw them against Justin Fields, and they struggled to slow him down. Lamar so Jackson as well. I, I, uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, so I, I don't, I don't like the matchup. And when you look at it, I mean, I'm not saying uh, Allen's got to protect the ball. He can't turn this thing over. And if he doesn't, I think it's going to be hard. I mean, the last time they played him, you know, in, in a regular season game in New England, I'm like I said, I didn't think it was a close game. And New and New England still was able to run the ball in that game. I mean, Damian Harris had 103 yards rushing in that game, but you know, Mac Jones couldn't make him hit 145 yards passing. And and Allen threw for three four fourteen. And Damian Harris will be out for tonight's game here. Uh, this note, real quick, there from Bet Labs: Josh Allen is eleven and three straight up and ten and four against the spread in prime time. So maybe we'll get some prime time Josh Allen here on a Thursday night. But Michael, let's take another break. On the other side, we're going to put the GM hat on and we're going to try to fix the Denver Broncos. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures market, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, let's get into it. You have been a former general manager in this league, have worked a number of years in the front office. Me, myself, I can play armchair GM and try to assist you here in this discussion. But the Denver Broncos, Michael, it has been an absolute disaster so far this year for the Denver Broncos. The Russell Wilson trade in the offseason has completely failed early on in this situation. Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach, that has been a failure how would you, if you were given the job and let's say George Payton says, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. And the Walton family calls you up and says, Michael Lombardi want to make you the general manager of the Denver Broncos. How would you go ahead and fix this mess out in the Rocky Mountains? Well, I think the first thing you got to do is understand what is truly the problem, right? What is the problem? Is, is it players? Is it coaching? Is it scheme, right? So you got to break it down into that. And so one of the big problems is we know Russell Wilson isn't Russell Wilson. <laughs> 
That, you know, we know that. And we also know we can't get away from Russell Wilson. We know that, you know, we can't find a, a, a way to dump him. So we've got to manage it. So my, my first course of action would be we're, we're going to need to have a way to have a plan around the quarterback because he's going to be here for a year. So we don't have any draft picks. We don't have, we're, we're paying this quarterback. So what I would try to do is try to build a developmental program within the building and, you know, and really find somebody uh, who had toughness, who could be a leader of the team, who's going to let us reconstruct this team as we struggle through these first couple seasons with Russell. I mean, we're going to have to take two steps back to go one step forward, even with Russell. Like, this is not a quick fix. Like, okay, we can change coaches, but does that solve the real problem, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to make the mistake that Seattle made. You know, fire Bevel, hire Schottenheimer, fire Schottenheimer, hire Waldron. Wait a minute, there's a pattern here. That never got fixed, right? What's going on? Oh, fire Russell. Now it's fixed, right? So I think you really got to understand the crux of the problem. I think if you become the general manager of the of the Denver Broncos, you got to take a hundred day and look backward, because I don't think you can strategize a plan moving forward until you understand truly, truly what the problem is. You know, you know. It's funny. I, I'm reading this book and and. It talks about Musk and how he put a rocket in space. And, you know, the Russians, you know, it cost $200 million and $200 billion to get a rocket. And he thought he could build it for $9 for nine million, nine billion, you know, because he found out what was the crux of the problem. And I think that that ultimately is what we have to do as a strategist, right? We've got to understand what is the real problem. Once we identify the real problem, and now we can go solve it. And if Russell's the real problem then obviously we're going to have to figure out how we're managing Russell because of the cap. Do we trade him? Do we dump him? Do we have somebody take him? How do we do that? You know, so that's really where it starts, Femi. And there's no, there's no like, hey, let's bring a left tackle in here. You know, let's bring a right tackle in here. You know, I think what we have to do is build a team around who we know won't be the quarterback in two years. Would you then, I guess, build this team to be more of a running type of team? You mentioned the offensive line and stuff like that. I mean, I think that maybe that's how you go about doing it is building a strong offensive line that can run the ball and maybe Russell Wilson can lean on that run game to get some sort of efficiency offensively because you're not going to be able to dump him. I mean, looking at the contract, nobody's trading for that based on what we've seen for this year. If you cut him, you're absolutely in cap hell for the foreseeable future. So it's got to be something that works with Russell Wilson. Would that be leaning on a dominant run game? Well, I think what you have to do, if you come over and you become the president of the team, you got the first thing you got to do is have a meeting with him. And you got to say, look, you know, right now you're you're part of the problem. And we're going to have to have a man-to-man conversation here. You're part of the problem. And and if you want to be part of the solution, you're going to have to bury your ego. You're going to have to bury what you think you are because you're not. Remember, Phil Jackson didn't want to coach Kobe Bryant at the end of his career. So he retired. Why? Because he didn't want to be the guy to tell Kobe, you can't do that anymore. Right? That's a hard job. Yeah. That's a hard job. Right? And so, but somebody's got to be honest with Russell. Somebody's got to have a meeting with them who's got the authority to have a meeting and has got the support. You know, one of the things that I thought was a, the Sixers when they brought Doc in, at least Doc came in with stature and clout. So he could tell Simmons and he could tell Embiid he had more political capital than they did, yeah. which helped. Somebody comes in this has to have political capital. 
And they got to have Russell and say, look, Russell, if you want to be part of the solution, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to play this. And I don't want to hear a word out of you. You know, it's interesting because on Monday's podcast, you made the comparison with Russell Wilson and Allen Iverson toward the end of his career. And I've been thinking about that over the past couple of days. And there's the famous Iverson press conference, not the practice one. This one, I think, is actually kind of better than the practice one. But it's when he was asked about coming off the bench and Allen Iverson's listing off all his accomplishments. He said, I've never known any all time scorer that's come off the bench. I've never known any former MVP that's come off the bench. You're going to need to have some sort of a buy-in from Russell Wilson to say, hey, right. you got to take a step back. I know you want to win MVP, and I, and I applaud Russell Wilson. We all have personal, individual goals that we want to accomplish, and one for him has been winning MVP because he wants to be seen in that Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady stature, but that's just not going to be the reality. So you got to have like you right. said, that conversation to say, take a step back, and this is where the offense is going to go. And that's how I would start the meeting, Femi. Literally, that's how I would start the meeting. I would call him in. It would just be me and him and somebody else to verify that what I was saying, somebody knew what I was saying. And he could have his agent there, too. So there'd be four people in the meeting. And I would start the meeting by showing the the Allen Iverson press conference. And I would say, look, this happens to athletes at the end of their career. This This is one of the common causes. They won't accept that they're not the same player. Now, I'm not asking you to to be somebody that you can't be. I'm asking you to be who you are. Peyton Manning wasn't the same player when he won a second Super Bowl. He couldn't throw the ball 20 yards down the field. But he did the things he needed to do to win the game. Now, if you can give us that, if you're willing to do what Peyton was willing to do, then we've got a chance here. But if you think you're Allen Iverson, then we, where this is going to be hard. Now, here's the problem. Nobody wants you. Nobody wants you. It's just you and me. There's a sign in, when you leave Barstow, California, eat here or we both starve because there's no place to eat along the way, right? Yep. Nobody wants you, Russell. Like, we gave you all this money and people are laughing at us. When your ego will allow you to accept that, we might be able to make some progress here. But you got to have a hard conversation with them and you got to be able to take it, you know, the next day there's going to be leaks. You're at Lombardi's an asshole. This guy's a jerk. But you got to be strong enough to handle it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fight off the leaks there if that was the conversation. But no, I think that's an an honest way to dis- discuss it with Russell Wilson because if they don't have that conversation, it's going to be more of the same and more of the same is going to get a lot of people fired except for Russell Wilson there. Michael, let's take our final break on the other side. We're going to get to Sunday's fantastic slate. I cannot wait for this weekend. All right, Michael, let's get to Sunday's slate and what a slate it is. And we will start in the Meadowlands which might be a little bit of a playoff game here over these next three weeks between the Commanders and the Giants' first matchup in New York. And the Commanders, Michael, at our show sponsor, DraftKings, two-and-a-half-point road favorites, total of 40, what's going to be a very, very important game for this NFL or NFC wildcard race. You know, it's funny. I had this as the Giants should be favored by one and, you know, and, and one and a, 1.5, and the Washington Commanders are favored by two. And I, I ask you as the betting expert on this show, you know, because I don't make a bet in, at any week, is say that they didn't tip that pass that Mariota threw to Patterson and, and the Washington Commanders got beat. What would this line be? I, I would guess like a pick. Probably would Yeah, that's pick. what I think. Yeah, maybe maybe the Giants still yeah, favored maybe. by a point. I don't trust Heineke. I don't know about you, but I, I don't trust no, him. I don't but trust I think him. to me, the reason is, is when you look at this game in the last five weeks, right? The last five weeks of the season so far, the Washington football team, when you put all the numbers together, they're ninth in the league. 
Meanwhile, the meanwhile the Giants are 25th. The Giants haven't played well the last five, right? So you know, and, and that's really been been one of their biggest causes of the out. The last 10 games, they're, they're 18th in the league. So they've been tracking the wrong way. And where they have lost games is where they won games, right? They were great in the red zone. They weren't last week against the Cowboys. They, they could run the ball. They can't run the ball. And so the matchup favors it. And when I break down the game codes in this game, when I look at the game codes, you know, the Giants have, have better the, – the Giants are strong in six areas. Washington only two. They're both about the same – in, in weaknesses in terms of Washington's two, the Giants three. But I think this is more about who's playing better. And both teams are good in the fourth quarter. The Giants are the best fourth quarter team, and Washington's the fourth best. So I think it's one of those where where it's going to come down to the last. And I think if you can get two and a half points, you got to take it as a home dog. I completely agree with you. I haven't bet it yet because I'm hoping that it can go to three and I can get Giants plus three. But I'm going to find a way to bet the New York Giants in this game, it's going to come down to which quarterback protects the football, in my opinion. Can Daniel Jones yeah. or Taylor Heineke protect the ball? I, I like I like Martindale Blitzen again, but, but they have been able to get pressure on the quarterback. This is going to really challenge Daniel Jones if, if, if Saquon can't run the football. If they can't mm-hmm. run the ball, you know, where's da- Daniel Jones just can't throw the ball 44 times. He's got to no. throw it 25 or less. They're going to have to find a way to get yards without having if they can't run the ball. And that's going to be the biggest challenge. I think the game that most people are excited for, and we're excited for it as well, is the rematch of last year's AFC Championship game, Chiefs at the Bengals at our show sponsor, DraftKings. Chiefs two-point favorites on the road, total 52.5. Man, this is going to be a titanic matchup. Jamar Chase expected to be back for Cincinnati. You know, I think this is another game where, you know, I had it as 2.26 in my power rankings. Uh, a very little margin here. And both teams. I mean, the Bengals really impressed me last week. I, I never thought the Bengals would be able to protect against the Titans, especially on the road. I thought that 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 uh, Joe Burrow would have gotten hit. But I think Cincinnati's playing a lot better right now. And they're really good on defense, and they make really good second-half second adjustments. Mm-hmm. I, I think at two-and-a-half, if you're getting two or two-and-a-half as a home dog, I think it's a close game. You know, I think it's a really close game. Both teams are really strong in a lot of areas. This is a playoff game. I mean, this is truly a playoff game. And I would take, I would just lean towards taking the Bengals. I, the Bengals impressed me last week with their toughness. You go into Tennessee and you beat Tennessee, and you hold the ball for the last six minutes of the game. Without your best, one of your best players in Joe Mixon, that's pretty impressive. I think by the end of the day, Sunday, we're going to be discussing how it's a three-horse race in the AFC between Buffalo, Kansas City, and Cincinnati. I think the Bengals win the game on Sunday. Dolphins at the 49ers. This is maybe a Super Bowl preview, Michael? San Francisco four-point favorites. Uh, you, you know, you, they can hook you like, I swear to God, you're like the shark that gets hooked so easy. God damn, Femi. I'm, Jesus I'm, Christ. That, that they offense reeling you good. in like crazy. You know? I I'm mean, just, I'm, fucking I'm, I'm, Hemingway would have would have stacked you up like no problem. I mean, the Pilar just, wouldn't have been in the bay before he would have stacked I'm, you up. I'm keeping an open mind about this Miami team because they've been really explosive offensively. Oh, yeah, sure they've been explosive offensively. That You know, let's talk about it. Pittsburgh's defense, Chicago's defense, Detroit's defense. You know, I mean, 
Houston's defense, those are defenses that I always look to the first part of the week to study to see how they stop people. That's the first thing I do when I watch tape. I just go, I want to watch Detroit play defense this week. I can't wait to see what schemes they're running and they're talented <laughs> players. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. Let me go to Houston and watch Lovey run Tampa 2, which is so fucking outdated that they probably wouldn't even put it out there. Oh, let me, let me go watch Chicago's defense. Without any of their good players, they trade them all away. Look, I mean, this will be a true test. I, mm-hmm. I, my, my question is, can they hit Tua? Armstead's not going to play. Brendan Shell's going to be the right tackle. Oof. I mean, they got to put pressure on Tua. It's a zone team all the way, right? And if they put pressure on Tua and they make him move in the pocket, I think it's a hard game. And are you convinced that Miami's very good on defense? No, not on defense. I'm not convinced at all on Miami's defense. I, I had this as a 5.26 game. Ooh, laying it? Maybe yeah. Be, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, it's gonna be. I mean, the line was three and a half. It went up to four. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm not saying Tua has. I mean, I've put Tua in my top five quarterback so far. I mean, he's been very accurate. He's throwing the ball. It's going to be light rain. It's going to be you know no wind, but it'll be a sloppy. It'll be a little sloppy of a game. We'll see if he can. I mean, can this line block him? Can they yeah. block him? We'll find out. I think Armstead will play in this game too. Yeah, I think that's but you're, you know, you're already. I can't believe you're real. You, you, they get you on bait. No, you know, this is how, this is what happened to Paul Castellano. You know, they got him so easy, right in front of Sparks. You know, it's too easy, Femi. I'm just saying they've been one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. Now, this, like you said, is the true test. This is not uh, Chicago or Detroit or those types of teams. This is going to be a legit test on Sunday, and I can't wait to see it. Uh, can't wait to see this game in the early window. Jets at the Vikings in Minnesota right now. Minnesota Ooh, yeah. three point favorites. Total 44 and a half. I mean, I, I, I love the Jets here. I really do. I, I have this as a, really a, a very tight game. Uh, you know, I actually have the Jets have are stronger in six areas. In the top seven categories of – in the top 19 categories determine winning. The Jets are in the top seven and six. Minnesota's in five. The Jets are, are in the top 12 in five other areas. And Minnesota's only there in two. Now, the Jets are in the bottom in four. But I, I think this team, you know, I think they, they've got to do a good job of protecting the passer. They've got to be able to do that. This game will come down to can the Jets' offensive line block Minnesota's defensive front. That's what it's going to come down to. And it's going to come down to can they hit Kirk Cousins? Can they pressure Cousins? I thought New England would pressure him a little bit more. But look, one thing about Minnesota, they got that lucky rabbit foots up their butt. I oh, mean, yeah. they are really are luck. I mean, <laughs> they are. It's, it's funny. They, they have this determination of what, what goes into luck calls, penalties, all that. Minnesota's the number one team in the league in terms of luck after week 12. I believe the Jets it. are five. Well, well, maybe they'll have a luck off on uh, on Sunday here. If, it's interesting, though, because it's going to get the matchup of Justin Jefferson against Sauce Gardner. But I don't, I don't know if I can trust Mike White to go into Minnesota. That's a hostile environment, one of the best home fields in the NFL. It's a st- Right now, it's a stay away from me, but I'd actually lean towards Minnesota just because I haven't seen enough from Mike White. You, we mentioned Chicago's defense. He's not impressing me with that performance against the Bears last Sunday. Uh, Titans and the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, mm. five-point favorites. Tennessee's been getting bet all week long here, Michael. Some sharp people like the Titans in this game. Total 44-and-a-half. Who do you like? You know, I, I, I think the Titans defensively have the kind of team that can give Philly trouble. They're fast. They have linebackers that can run. And they're strong inside. You've got you to gotta defend Philly inside out, not outside in. And if you can defend them inside out with power inside, you got a chance. And I think this will be a good game. I don't think Philly's going to move the ball up and down the field on them. 
And the way the Eagles have played defense lastly the last three couple weeks, mm-hmm. it hasn't been very impressive. Now, they'll, they'll gear up to try to stop Henry. But, you know, if Tannehill can make a few plays in the passing game, which I think he can, I mean, that's a lot of points. I, I have this as a 6.73 game. The line's down to five. And the game codes favor Philly tremendously. But my Philly numbers haven't been right. Uh, they've been off a little bit. And not that not that they haven't earned the statistical numbers, but so I wouldn't doubt very I would not doubt Vrabel on the road. Where I'm sitting here at Circa, it's down to four and a half. Now I want to see if is it really? It's down to four and a half. I want to see if Jordan Davis, our guy, the, the rookie, they opened up the practice window for him to come back from the short term IR. There's a chance he could play on Sunday if he's able to go. I think Philly covers this game and wins. If he's not able to go. It might be crazy to say this. I think Tennessee just wins the game. This is one of those situations either Tennessee is going to win outright or Philadelphia is going to win and cover the spread. I don't think you see Tennessee covering Philadelphia win just based on how this game is a, a matchup here. But let's let's go to the NFC North here. Packers, four and a half point favorites against the Chicago Bears on the road. Total 43. We believe Aaron Rodgers will play. Nothing really in terms of the status of Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is a game time decision. If Fields doesn't play, I'm all in on Green Bay. Because mm-hmm. right, I don't think the Chicago offense can trick anybody in that bad offensive line. I'd be all in on Green Bay. If Fields plays, you know, I would look at it. Where are, my line on this one was I had this as a 1.31 game. Yep. And the line's at four. So I, I would lean to Chicago, but I can't take Chicago. There's just no way. I mean, I can't take Chicago. Although, you know, Green Bay, Green Bay is as bad in some areas as you can imagine. I mean, they're just not, they're not very good. I mean, they have one area of strength, one area of strength in terms of the top seven. Think about that. <laughs> and I'll get it to you, and I'll tell you what it is. It's their third down defense. Wow. Okay. They've got 11. They're in the bottom, they're in the bottom category in 10, in 10 areas. Huh. Second half defense, turnovers, points per play, third down offense, last 10 games, all those stuff, they're in the bottom 10. Didn't feel like they bottom could get seven. Out I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean they're not good. I mean they're not good. I mean no matter how you look at it, they're not good. But neither is Chicago. So, <laughs> how about the Chargers and the Raiders? This game that's intriguing out in the AFC West here in Las Vegas. Raiders one point home underdogs total fifty and a half. Josh Jacobs probably not going to practice this week, but it sounds like he should be able to go with that calf injury. I mean the opening game of the season, Carr throws three interceptions. And the Raiders are throwing the ball in the end zone with a chance to win the game, lose by five. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what team's playing better right now? I think, I think the Raiders have played better the last three weeks. I thought defensively the last two weeks, the Raiders, not that they're very good, but they got stops against Seattle, which I didn't think they could do. And they got stops at critical points. That sack that they got on, on third and five in the game with, with Geno before, the, before the, they punted where Jacobs took it back to the house. So, you know, this is going to come down to can the Raiders control the pace? They can't get behind. They're behind 17 to 3 at the half. They had the ball with they 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 had the ball with 10 it was 10 to 3 with the 4 minutes. They had the middle eight they could have won and they lost the game in the middle eight the last time they played them. I think the Raiders are playing better right now. I mean, the Chargers were fortunate last week. Very fortunate. Uh, Jaguars and the Lions. This one, I'm sure, will give us some sort of coaching tidbit to discuss on Monday's podcast. Jacksonville, one-point road favorites, total 51 and a half. You know, this is a really even game. I was all over Jacksonville. And then when I ran my numbers, I had Jacksonville's favorite by 157. And the game codes, to me, are really even. Jacksonville's a 4-5-1-0 team. Detroit's a 4-1-6-0 team, which means both teams are strong in four areas. 
So I, I think it's an even game. I think Jacksonville should win this game. They should, but you know how inconsistent Jacksonville's been all season. I, I don't trust them. Do you? They're hard to trust, but their ceiling definitely higher than Detroit's, I would say, based on the quarterback play. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And their defense is better than Detroit. I mean, Detroit, I mean, the, the offensive line for Detroit's kind of beat up. That favors Jacksonville at this point. The Steelers and the Falcons over in Atlanta right now, Atlanta, one point home favorites, total 42 and a half. I, 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 that, this has gone back and forth, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah it's bouncing. It, we've been flipping favorites uh, all throughout the week. Yeah, I thought so because I had Pittsburgh as a one-point favorite earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. I, I have Atlanta. I have Pittsburgh should be slightly favored here. Uh, I don't doubt Atlanta. I think Atlanta's got to. I mean, if Atlanta, if Atlanta could could have won a couple, could have beaten New Orleans in the opening game, they might be the best team in the South. Not that they're any good. I wrote a column for for uh, Vison on Tuesday about who's going to win the South, and I, and I would take Atlanta at seven fifty only mm-hmm. because I think it's a good number. But when I look at their defense, you remember in Home Alone when when Buzz saw when Kevin's the the the, the shelves all fall down and he mm-hmm. sees a picture of Buzz's girlfriend, he says, "Buzz, your girlfriend, Wolf, right?" <laughs> well, that's what every time I watch Atlanta's defensive tape, I think, "Wolf, man, are they bad?" But they find a way to make a few plays here and there, and as long as Mariota doesn't have to throw the ball more than twenty five times, they have a chance. They ran the ball on Washington last week. They'll run the ball on Pittsburgh. Yeah, their run game is really good. Arthur Smith doing a pretty good job out there in Atlanta. Finally, Browns at the Texans. Cleveland seven-point favorites, total 46.5. Deshaun Watson returning from the 11-game suspension. What do we should we expect to see from a Watson who hasn't played in almost two years? Well, I mean, this is to me is a custard last stand game for Lovey, right? I mean, Lovey, Lovey has got to show that he can stop the Browns, right? They, we know they're not very good on defense, right? They're really historically bad. And they, their offensive scheme is just just atrocious. And I don't care who plays quarterback. So, you know, they've got to be – and they play better at home. Give Houston credit. They do play better at home. But to me, you know, when you're in the bottom seven in 14 categories of the 19, you're bad. But this is one of those games, Femi, where throw the numbers out. If you got, if you, are you, what are you fighting for? You know, you got Deshaun coming back. This should bring out Houston's best effort. And if you're the owner of the Texans and your team doesn't play at a high, high level today, you got real issues. You got real issues. To me, this is a kind of a we're going to find out game. Cleveland should win the line seven. You know, I had it at 7.68, but I think you got to throw the numbers out. I think if, if you have any faith, this is the moment where Houston's got to make a play. And you take Houston in the points and you just throw up when you do it. But if Houston doesn't play to this level against their ex-quarterback who hurt their organization, caused a lot of problems, put them in this hole, when are they going to play good? Yeah, it's a stay away game for me. Uh, I would never want to lay seven points with a quarterback we haven't seen in about two years. And you're not going to be able to get me to bet Houston, not even with your money. So I'm going to go ahead and stay away from this one. But it'll be an interesting Maybe you'll game bet it with your man Kyler Murray's money. Or, you know, who? Oh, you can do it with Tua's money now that you're a Tua fan. You can do it with his hey, money. Wait until that extension comes this offseason for our guy Tua. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> that does it for this week's episode of the pod. We will see you guys on Monday. As always, thank you to DraftKings Vsin. Thank you to our producer, Stephen Bond, with us on the ones and twos. Thank you to you, Michael, and I will talk to you on Monday. Thanks, guys.